Thank you, Pastor Richard and praise team, choir, Patty. Thank you all for leading us in worship. Let's continue praising God this morning and worshiping him by going to him in prayer now, and then we'll take a look at his word together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your great goodness in our lives, for your incredible love, mercy, and grace, which are evident when you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to serve to die for us. And Jesus died to take our place, our punishment for sin, so that we could have this opportunity for forgiveness and salvation. We praise you for that. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that's never received that forgiveness, or put their faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that if that is true for anyone here, that today would be the day. That they would give their life to you. They would enter into your family, become your child. And Father, we rejoice every time that happens. And I pray that we would always be a church that rejoices. Help us to be a church that is united together. That is pursuing you, pursuing spiritual maturity, chasing the same goals and seeking to bring you glory and honor. Help us to be that type of church. We pray that you would be with our family in Christ all over the world who can't meet together this Sunday. Maybe because a physical ailment's keeping them from going, or maybe it's because they live in a country where they're restricted from meeting together. We pray that you would, that you would encourage their hearts this morning, that you would lift them up, that your spirit would wrap his loving arms around them. Help us never to take for granted that we can do this, that we can gather together. And when we leave from here, I pray that we would eagerly look forward to the next time that we do gather together. We pray that in all these things you be glorified. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. In high school, I played on some travel basketball teams. So we would play games on the weekends. We would have tournaments and had a couple practices during the week. And the first one of those teams that I ever played on, we were terrible. We lost a lot of games. Once, we were playing so badly in a game that our coach called a timeout and made us run sprints while the other team watched. But despite all of that, I had a lot of good memories to this day about that team because we all got along well. We were a real brotherhood, and our coaches genuinely cared about us, and we knew that. So that was, that was a real team. Not the best team, but a close one. Unfortunately, not every team is like that. Later, I joined a different travel team, and it was a very different experience. I still remember the first tournament we played together. When the first game rolled around, only five of us had shown up. So we played our hardest, and we won the game. We advanced to the next round. Well, the next game, a few more players showed up. We won that game, too, and that put us in the championship. And surprise, surprise, when that game came around, a whole bunch of players showed up to play. And we won that game, we won the tournament, but then I realized as the season went on that that tournament was just very revealing about the whole team, the whole season, because a lot of players, they didn't show up to practices, didn't come to certain games. They only came when they felt like it, when they wanted to. So eventually, despite some early success, the team fell apart. I can't even remember the names of any of the coaches or players from that team. We lost sight of what it 
meant to be a team, to depend on each other, to chase the same goals, and to show up consistently, not just when it was convenient. We might have known how to put some wins together, but the problem is we didn't know what it meant to be a real team. And anybody who's been involved in sports could tell you a group like that is not going to last long. And we didn't. And you know, it's similar when it comes to the church. When a church is not united, not chasing the same goals, not functioning properly, it's not going to last long. And there are many factors that can cause these things, and one of those factors is when Christians forget why they come together as a church in the first place. Here are four mindsets that I have found among Christians when it comes to going to church. First, there is the mindset that some Christians have that it doesn't matter how often they attend. I mean, as long as they go to church once or twice a month, that's enough to make sure that they're okay with God, that the pastor doesn't get on their case. And then the rest of the Sundays that month, they can sleep in or go out on the lake when the weather's nice, tailgate when their team is playing. The second mindset is among those believers who think it doesn't matter if they attend church at all. And maybe it's because they think the church isn't important. Or maybe it's because they think that church can be substituted with a computer. As long as they watch a service online, they've completed their their church obligation. Third, there are those Christians who attend church week in and week out, but they don't really know why they do that. For some of them, maybe it's just something that was ingrained in them since childhood. They're kind of just moving through the motions when they go to church. And then fourth, and finally, there are those Christians who attend because they love the church. Because they desire to be part of it. Because they know they would be spiritually lacking without the body of believers. This fourth mindset is the biblical mindset. The one that I pray all of us would have here at First Baptist Church of Oxford. This morning, as we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we are going to talk about why gathering together matters. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there, Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 948. Page 948. Ephesians chapter 4. Like I said, we're going to talk about why gathering together matters. Now, I use that phrase, gathering together, instead of church, intentionally. I didn't say why church matters. And the reason for that is because too often we make going to church about songs and a sermon. So we think that we can substitute it with a screen. But church is so much more than that. We're going to see that this morning. But first and foremost, believers, understand this. We gather together this way because we've been told to in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says this. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible is clear that we should faithfully gather together. And this morning, we're going to talk about some of the reasons why it matters that we do this. But first, I want us to begin with what it means to be a part of God's church. 
And then we'll see why faithfulness to gather together in local congregations is something that can't be substituted, something that can't be based on convenience and should not be ignored. So let's look together in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. All right, keep your place right there in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll come back in a minute. Because I want us to see first what it means to be a part of God's church. This is what many have referred to as the universal church. That is, being made up of all Christians all over the world. All right, we need to understand this before we can grasp the importance of the local congregation. Paul said in verse 4 that there is one body. There's one body. Now he's referring to all of God's people who are collectively called in Scripture the body of Christ. That's what he means when he says this. Every Christian, every individual who's put their faith in Jesus as their Savior has entered into the body of Christ. We belong to him. We're part of his family. We are citizens of heaven and we are in his church. There is one body. And there's one Spirit. All who've come to Jesus in faith are filled with the Holy Spirit who entered into us the moment we put our faith in Him. The moment we receive salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit, believers. Likewise, we were called to one hope of salvation, which we eagerly look forward to, that moment when we step into the presence of our Savior. We serve one and the same Lord. It's the same faith in the gospel that unites us, as made evident in our identification with Jesus at baptism. When we declared openly to others that we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we serve one and the same God and Father. In other words, regardless of denomination and location, those who have accepted the one true gospel are a part of God's church. As such, we are his people. We've been called to live lives of humility, gentleness, lives of patience and love towards one another. All these things are true because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus descended from heaven to earth. Why did he do that? We did that because we're all hopelessly lost, held captive to sin and death, headed for an eternity in hell. We're hopeless to break these chains that bind us. Then Jesus came. Jesus lived a perfect life, the thing that we can't do. He died on the cross to take our place, all the punishment for our sin. After he's buried, he powerfully rose from the dead three days later. Then, after his work was completed, he ascended to heaven. And ever since then, all who have come to Jesus Christ in faith have been set free from sin. They've been set free from that death that bound them. They've received forgiveness for sin. They've received salvation through Jesus Christ. 
and they've become a part of his church. We don't deserve these things. That's why it's all about grace. Grace is a free and undeserved gift. So Paul says there is one body, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, believers. So we are already united by the same faith and the same Lord, and now we need to live like we are united. Paul said in verse 3 that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So now we can talk about the local church. That's where that unity is kept, where it's most evident to ourselves and to others. However, there are many Christians who, in rejoicing that they are a part of the universal church, have decided that the local church isn't important. Let me give you an example. Earlier this year, Doug, one of our church's deacons, invited the staff out to lunch. And we went to a restaurant where they cook the food right in front of you. During that time, we struck up a conversation with our chef, and Doug mentioned to him that we were all from the same church. Well, this man was very excited to tell us that he, too, is a Christian. So at one point in the conversation, Doug asked him what church he attended in the area. To which that man replied, Oh, I don't go to church. I am the church. In other words, the local church didn't matter to him. Now, he was glad to be a part of the universal church, the family of all believers. He just didn't care about being with those believers. And you know, many Christians might not think of it in the same terms that this man does, but there are many Christians who have likewise begun to think that the local church doesn't matter. That man was wrong, by the way. If he is a Christian, he isn't the church. He's a part of the church. And as we'll see soon, he's not a functioning part of it. My wife, knowing the subject of my sermon this week, sent me the following statement that a pastor made. And I, I really want to share it with you. A pastor said this. While no one can deny that the church has its share of problems, Jesus never gave us the option of giving up on his church. The church was his idea. So it is impossible to follow him while shunning the church he died to save. Wow. The church was his idea. Believers, Jesus loves the church. If local churches of Christians gathered together aren't important, then why did the Holy Spirit inspire so many New Testament authors to write to local churches? Why did Jesus specifically address seven congregations in Revelation chapters 2 through 3? Maybe, maybe there's more to church. Maybe there's more to gathering together with other Christians, and maybe we've lost the importance of it. If we love Jesus, we're going to love the things that He loves, and He loves the church. If we're following Jesus, the shepherd of our souls, we're going to be found with his flock. So let's understand why gathering together as a local church matters. Join with me. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service 
so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So why does it matter that we faithfully gather together in local congregations? I want us to consider at least five good reasons that we find here in Ephesians chapter 4. First, we gather to be equipped for works of service. Now the Bible tells us in numerous places that every believer has been given a spiritual gift from God that is supposed to be used for the benefit of the body of believers by serving one another. But we can't fulfill that unless we're with one another. In fact, the way that you discover and develop your spiritual gift is by joining together with Christians and then serving others. You can't do that if you stay away from the congregation. In fact, that'll make the discovery and use of your gift for the body almost impossible. This service helps build up the body of Christ. And the second reason why it matters that we gather is so that the body of Christ can be built up in unity. How can we be united together if we aren't together? Remember, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul talked about bearing with one another in love. Yeah, but it's hard to bear with one another in love if we can't bear to be with one another. Now, sure, you can love people from a distance, but it's not the same. If you don't believe me, just, just ask our members who are shut-ins. The ones who physically cannot attend anymore. The ones who once knew the joy of this fellowship, of this unity, and now they have no choice but to engage from a distance. Ask them, they'll tell you. Because they've told me. But they genuinely miss it. It is not the same. The third reason why gathering together matters is so that we become, we can become spiritually mature. As we grow in our knowledge of Jesus together. When I was in seminary, I was eager to get my degree as quickly as I could so that I could marry my high school sweetheart, which I did. Now, in order to do this as quickly as I could, I took on-campus classes and online classes together at the same time so that I could take as many classes all at once. And truth be told, I was able to learn the material for online classes just fine and watching videos and reading to myself. But it was nothing like being in the classroom. Not just because I could ask my teacher questions, but because it was a joy to hear what my peers had to say. Uh, their questions and answers helped me learn so much more than just reading and watching videos alone could. 
You can learn more about God, believers, by reading your Bible and reading commentaries on passages and watching sermons online. These are all good things. I encourage all of you to do these things. But if these are the only things that we do, we're going to miss out on a lot of growth. Keep in mind the Bible tells us in Proverbs 27 that iron sharpens iron. Well, believers gathered together studying the Word of God sharpen one another. This is why we emphasize things like Sunday school, small groups, Wednesday night classes. These are those opportunities where we can ask questions, where we can learn from one another, and together we can grow in the knowledge of our Lord and we can grow in spiritual maturity. The fourth reason why gathering together matters springs forth from that spiritual maturity, which is that we won't be easily deceived. We won't be spiritual infants. We won't be like those caught up in a storm of false teaching, unable to navigate through. Believers, Acts chapter 20 refers to false teachers as savage wolves. Such individuals, they'll try and infiltrate churches if they can, and they will certainly prey on isolated Christians. But there is safety in the flock. I know a believer who is seldom in church and who is often deceived by false teachers online. When you are a part of a united congregation pursuing spiritual maturity together, you will not be so easily picked off by a savage wolf. In fact, many times you'll spot them a mile away, and you'll be safer for it. The fifth reason why gathering together matters is so that the church can function properly. Paul said in verse 16, he said, From him, that's Jesus, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. When you are not joined alongside the local body of believers, you're not being a supporting ligament. Nor are you doing your part to support the body of believers. When you don't gather with other Christians and use your gifts to help the body function, the body struggles. Not only will your own spiritual growth be stunted, but the spiritual strength and health of the church will be too. This is, this is important because sometimes we're tempted to think, well, you know, if I don't volunteer for this, somebody else will. So does it really matter? Somebody else will just volunteer and do it anyways. And that's true. Praise God that there are people in churches always willing to serve, but not everyone has the same spiritual gift or physical talents or skill set that you do. So the work might get done, but the church would be better off if you did what you're gifted at so that those other believers could focus on doing the things that they're gifted at. And the church would be much better off. There was once a master carpenter here at the church voluntarily working on a project for us. This man has the spiritual gift of serving, and he has a lot of talents and skills. So he was helping us with a project, and one day I said to him, hey, I can be unskilled labor, and I can help you if you need it. And I can still hear him in my mind chuckling when I said that. Because he said, no, that's okay. He said, look, I'll 
I'll take care of this. You spend the time doing the things that you need to do. And I will spend the time doing this. And I knew that he wasn't being rude or anything like that. He just realized that I wasn't going to be any help to him or to the church in this matter. And he realized that. But believers, when we each use our gifts for the Lord, the body is built up in love as each part does its work. Church, these are just five of the reasons why gathering together matters. We haven't even talked yet about the commands in the Bible that Christians bear one another's burdens or that we encourage one another. We meet one another's needs. That we help each other when we fall into sin. That we rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I mean, how can we accomplish these things on our own? We can't. And we weren't meant to. If Jesus is your Savior, then you're a part of this church. You're a, party, a part of the, the body of believers. But you need to be a functioning part of the body. That happens in the local church. Jesus loves and cares for the church. And so should we. Please don't misunderstand. Sometimes we can't gather together because we've gotten sick. Or because we're physically unable or we're traveling or something unexpected comes up. But sometimes we face the temptation not to gather because of convenience sake. Or because of fear. Or because we've simply lost sight of the importance of it. Or maybe we faithfully attend, but we're starting to realize that there is so much more to church than just a worship service. When we understand all the reasons why gathering together matters, we won't come simply to check off a box or because we're obligated, but we will come in eager expectation of spiritual growth and the unity of the body of believers. So Christians, I know that I have thrown a lot of things out there for you today. Many, many truths, and I hope you remember all of them. But if not, please, please remember this simple truth. That spiritual maturity and church unity are strengthened when we gather together faithfully. Spiritual maturity for each of us as individual believers and the unity of the church is strengthened when we gather together. And I pray that we would be believers with the right mindset, growing in our faith alongside each other, pursuing the same goals, staying united, all of these things until the day the Lord returns to us. In just a, a couple minutes, we're going to go into our time of invitation. And when we do, believers, I'm going to encourage you to examine your heart, to ask the Lord to open your eyes to what your attitude has been towards church. Because maybe, maybe it needs an adjustment. Or maybe you've been faithfully attending, but you realize you haven't really been a functioning part yet. Ask the Lord to reveal to you what's your gift. How can you help? How can you serve? Or maybe you've been doing these things. I would encourage you to ask the Lord how it is that you can be an encouragement to other believers. And maybe you are here, and none of this applies to you because Jesus isn't your Savior. If that's true for you, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, then that means that you aren't a part of God's church. You're not a part of God's family. God isn't your spiritual father. You're not his child. In fact, if that's true, I have some very, very tough news to tell you. And it is that the Bible says if Jesus is not your Savior, then you are actually a child of the devil. That's what the Bible says. 
And that means that if you do not give your life to Christ, you will share the same eternal fate that the devil will share, which is an eternity separated from God in hell. And friend, if Jesus isn't your Savior, understand that that's because our sin is serious in God's sight. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's commands. We have sinned against a just and holy and eternal God. And the only just punishment is to be separated from Him in hell. God is just. He is holy. But He's also loving and merciful and gracious. And so He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for you and me because we can't make up for our sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He died to take all of the wrath that we deserve. And three days later, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead and right now he stands in heaven waiting to offer you the forgiveness of all your sins, waiting to bring you into the family of God, into a relationship with him and to give you eternal life. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, if you have never made that decision, please know that Jesus has been waiting your whole life to save you. And that can happen for you right now. If only you will go to him in faith and give him your life.